Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. So, uh, check this, right? I ride the subway to work. I mean, I ride Okay, so there's levels to this. I ride the subway to work, but also this new thing where I go to work now. And it's not that I didn't go to work before I go to the radio station, but the radio station is closer to my house. Now I got to get up like, you know, when I was doing radio show, it was like four to seven. And then like two days a week, I go do the podcast. I wake up, but I ain't got to get dressed or nothing like that. This is the first time in my life since the summer of 2002 that I had to like wake up and put on grown up clothes and commute to work. It's new. Uh, it's not the biggest deal in the world, right? A lot of y'all do it all the time. It's just a little bit different to my existence. Now, um, part of that also is the difference in the way that I commute and there's no car driving to make this happen or whatever. Nah. Um, I ride the subway. People are often surprised that I ride the subway. Number one, I don't make that much money. You understand what I'm saying? Like I walked in the Rolex store and I walked out with this one. You know, like, hey, no money is no object sort of situation for me. Um, so we're not quite there. That's number one. Number two, man, it is easier to get around on the subway in this city and at like times you got to travel or whatever than it is any other way, right? Like my job is right near the same train and I, bro, like I'm good. I got that straight. So I take the subway and I take it in the morning. And so like some mornings it could be a little crackalacking on there, but others is kind of chill. There ain't too many people on there. I got to the subway today. I go down the steps, and the train happened to be right there as I was about to pull out my Metro car. That's the other thing, man. Monthly costs $121. $121. If I wanted to, like, ride in a car to Brooklyn, that's costing, like, a 50 piece either way. Yeah. So, anyway, I run my car. I run through, and the car in front of me got a whole lot of people in it. But I don't really have time to be trying to run and find if there's a car that's a bit emptier. I need to make sure that I get on this bad boy, right? I don't feel like waiting. So I jump on. You know, it's a lot of us. We standing there. We holding on to rails and stuff like that. You know, people posted in the doorway. And whoo, boy, somebody was funky on the subway. I mean, extra funky. Like, eye-watering funky. Like, how you this funky at 8 o'clock in the morning? And so the thing about riding the subway is it's not terribly uncommon for somebody to be funky, but you can normally identify who the funkmeister is. It's not that hard. There's a lot of people that live hard lives, they got to go through a lot of things, and they wind up on a train trying to make it happen one way or another. You understand what I mean? So, like, normally if there's, like, some serious funk that's on the subway, you can look up. And, you know, figure out where the funk is coming from on this one, though, man. That funk was so powerful. Like, it was, like, powerful to a point that I didn't even consider where it was because it felt like that funk had to be all over the train. So powerful. Like, it's so inconsiderate. And it just got to a point where I was just like, okay, I'm going to just have to move to the other side of the subway. I got to give it a try. You know, I got to, I got to like give some effort to try to get out away from the funk. And so I took one step away from where I was and immediately the funk started to alleviate 
and I took a couple more steps over and I wound up all the way to the side and the funk was gone. And that means that the funk was coming from like right in front of me, right by me on the train. That's where the funk was coming from. And I'm here to tell you, I want to know who it was at work that was going to have to sit next to that lady. Because if she was funking it up like that at 8.15, I don't know what she was going to be bringing to the office by the time 5 o'clock came around. Like, I had no idea. But yeah, she was pretty cute too. But she was funky. Woo! By the way, you ever dated a funky woman? Like a woman that just kind of has a tendency to be a little funky? Not a lot funky, but like just a little funky. And it, 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 it ain't even really nothing they can do about it, right? Like it's one of them hormonal situations. I imagine that women have more stories about dealing with funky dudes. But yeah, yeah. Like if you like if you date a funky woman and you like, like her, like funky feel like something that you kind of got to overcome, except for the fact that it don't really feel like nobody should ever have to overcome funky. So, yeah, there's that. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Wow, you guys got a lot of questions uh, about the same thing. It's cool because it's the thing I want to talk about. I'm just uh, going through all of these things. Oh, here we go. How soon until we hear some of the stories from Starbucks diversity training. This is a very interesting question, and I've wondered how long it's going to be before we start getting some behind the scenes, because I imagine for some people it was a very, very interesting day at work. I imagine some people found it to be a waste of time. I imagine also some people found it to be a waste of time and probably a bit confrontational in the way that they express the fact that they found it to be a waste of time. There's probably all kinds of extremely uh, joke-worthy moments that came from that one. And who knows how effective that is ultimately going to be. You know, they got into a little trouble about, you know, calling the police that one time, even though I feel like it's not that hard to be like, Hey man, don't be calling people. Don't be, don't be calling the police. Oh, some bullshit. Like, I, I mean, and I know that's not like an exact thing, you know, but I feel like that summarizes uh, what their situation is. There's don't don't be uh don't be calling the police over some bullshit. But now somebody started a burner account and offered to tell me what went on at Starbucks, and it's actually kind of interesting given that Colangelo story that's in sports. But like the dude started the burner account and wanted me to hit him back to get the information on it, and I'm like, dog, I don't know who you are. I can't verify this. I don't have the time to go out here and do this reporting. And if I'm gonna be frank, this same like a setup. And I don't even really want to, I don't want no setup. You dig? Anyway, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Yeah, okay. I'll go, I'll deal with this in steps. Because I know where you ultimately want me to wind up. And so I'm going to deal with this in steps to get to everything that everybody need to uh, need, need. need I, I want to answer everybody's questions, right? Okay, so let's start here. Drake beef aside, Daytona is a hell of an album, right? 
All right, so I feel like in reference to Daytona, we are improperly using the term album. The thing is 21 minutes long. I cannot call 21 minutes an album. That is an EP at best. It is a very, 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 very good EP. I just, you know, question going with album. But I like, I mean, I'm not really that big into Pusha T because it is not because he can't rap. Like, there ain't no question about the fact that he can rap. My thing with him, and it's like not even really his fault per se, but they dropped an O2 with grinding. And they, well, that was, I mean, that's not their first joint, but you know what I mean. Um, and they came with all the cocaine rap, right? All the cocaine rap. And they came with all the cocaine rap at a time where I had had enough of the cocaine rap. You know, like, so for me, Purple Tape comes out in 95. Like, Purple Tape is like super cocaine rap, right? Like, that that's what this is, right? I was just done with it by that time. I kind of came back around to it, like, 05, like, Jeezy, which was to me, like, the ultimate guilty pleasure record. That first Jeezy record was like, okay, how do I explain to my hip-hop friends that I think this is banging, right? That we all realized we all felt the same way, and then we came back around on it. But, yeah, so when the clips came out, I wasn't there, and it's just a whole lot of cocaine rap. And if you're going to do, like, that much cocaine rap, I needed to be like Ghostface, where I find his cocaine rap to be kind of humorous and all over the place. And so I, I'm not a clips dude in that way. And it's not because they're not good. I'm just not there. That's just not where I am. So, like, this Push album comes out. I check it. And, yeah, it's really good. The thing that I think is interesting about this is Kanye and all the Kanye stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks, right? Push what's going on with the thing with Drake. Okay. Lost in all of this. If you wanted the old Kanye back on the beats, it's not the old Kanye. Like, it's not the old sound, but it's absolutely coming from the same place. So if you go back to, like, the life of Pablo, for example, sonically, this is much more in line with, like, no more parties in L.A. than it is with waves or anything like that. And that's because there is clearly a lot more hands-on Kanye production on this. And you know it's hands-on Kanye production on this because don't none of the drums knock. Like, normally he's coming in and getting somebody to make his drums knock. That's what he's done for, like, the last handful of projects. That's not what happened here. Like, these are Kanye West beats. These are soul samples, and they are great. <laughs> you know, like, hey, look, you mad at Kanye about all that Trump stuff and everything else? I ain't mad at you for it. I ain't so keen on it myself. But just actually talking about the music that's there, I am here for those beats. And if all that madness had not been surrounding Kanye before this, we would be talking about the fact that not only is like the push record good because push is rapping, but we would be talking about the fact that Kanye on the beats is there. Like that's where we are. By the way, my man Angelo says that he thinks uh, Mad Lib did no more parties in L.A. I think Kanye did no more parties in L.A. with Mad Lib. Let me check that while we're talking about it, but I'm pretty sure that they did that one together. Like, I don't think that that was a single credit. Um, though, as, as I've told you, though, as a general rule on Kanye records, if it's a single credit, the beat bangs. And yeah, no more parties in LA is Kanye and Mad Lib. So, you know, this is more, this is more to where he is. So let's see, right? Now, as for pushing, I think it's dope raps, and then, of course, it's infrared. And... The the thing about infrared in the context of that record, it does kind of come out of nowhere. Like we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, 
He loves talking about how Baby is getting Drake for his money. Drake seems to be plenty rich, uh, but he loves to talk about all the hands that are in, in Drake's pocket. I have no idea how true this is. I know Birdman doesn't necessarily enjoy paying people. I also know that Drake is connected to some people that could help him get his money. Or they could get his money. I don't know. Like, I have no idea. But Pusha T absolutely believes that he has an idea. And poor Wayne just catching all the strays. Right? Like, Wade is like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got a tour to make this money. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have to do this. But, bro, I ain't even really fucking with you right now. You know, but like, not right now. And so he goes and he gives it to Drake. And, you know, this kind of sets the stage. And, you know, a little stuff been going on before this, but this kind of sets the stage for where we are in this. And a big part of why this Pusher and Drake beef is so fascinating. Have we ever had a legit rap beef with two dudes from different generations? Like, that's what's wild about this. These cats are not peers. They are not contemporaries. Pusha T is 40 years old. Drake is 31. What? Like, in some ways, this is like the Nelly KRS-One beef. Like, you remember that when KRS-One got a little bothered because Nelly did a song called I'm Number One, and KRS-One was like, I did, I'm still number one. And he kind of talked about it in interviews. And then Nelly decided that he was going to come out with a diss of KRS-One. And then, of course, KRS-One destroyed him. Just like absolutely destroyed him. But who cares? It was KRS one destroying Nelly. But Nelly, when you think about it, was in a position in the game that is not terribly dissimilar from the position that Drake is in. Like in terms of like kind of what his steez is and how he kicked it for relative to the time. Um, like the idea of Pusha T and Drake having a beef is not terribly dissimilar from the idea of KRS-One and Nelly having a beef. And that is not to say that Pusha T is KRS-One because I don't want KRS-One to jump out of the ceiling and like do a diss record about me, about that. It's not to say that. And it's not to say that Drake is Nelly. But I think you get kind of sort of where I'm coming from here. But here's the difference between like the year 2000 or 2001 or whenever that was in 2018. If Nelly dropped in 2018 and sold all the records that he sold in 2018 and had music like the way that he had there or the way that he did it then like the kind of vibe that he had and you drop him off with that same kind of vibe and with that level of success you know what Nelly is Nelly is Drake like Drake's a better rapper than Nelly like there's no question about that but when Nelly was doing that, no matter how many records he was selling at the time, Nelly could never be the number one dude in the game. Like, we were never going to allow a dude who kicked it like Nelly to be the number one dude in the game. Like, that was just never going to be it. In this day and age, a dude like Drake could be the number one dude in the game. 
Like as cold as Drake is, and Drake gets busy. Like don't 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 triple like don't get that part twisted. Whether you like him or not, it's a different discussion. But don't act like the boy can't rap, right? And so if you put that boy in 2002, he's still probably very very successful. But we're not going to talk about him being the number one dude in the game because the game did not allow for somebody with the aesthetic that Drake was coming with to be the number one dude. Now it allows for that. Like now it allows for the fact that a Pusha T Drake battle is a like legitimate one. Like this is something to pay attention to where depending on what side of the generational divide you're on, you kind of pick your sides. And so somebody made the point in here about like the generation gap in the battle, LL Cool J and cannabis is the example they brought up. And yes, they were in in different generations, certainly. But I also feel like in a lot of ways, they were in the same lane still. Like, yeah, LL was definitely capable of doing all that commercial stuff or whatever it is, but they were in the same lane. Drake and Pusha T are not in the same lane. They're not. And by the way, they seem to have a beef. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong here. They got a beef that, like, there is no precipitating factor. Pusha T just really, really, really doesn't like that dude. Now, this dude, by the way, right here, before I forget about it, this dude in the chat room says cannabis gave LL bars and no one really cared. And I'm like, what are you, 15 years old? Because we cared a lot. A lot. Then LL came back with the Ripper Strikes Back, which I never liked. And I maybe need to go back and listen again because maybe it was better than I remember. And then it was over. But anyway, uh, but Pusha T hates Drake so much. He absolutely hates that dude. And he doesn't, like at least the vibe that I get here, it ain't even, it's beyond simply the fact that he hates Drake. He hates what Drake represents. He hates what Drake stands for. Like the stuff that he talks about when he talks about Drake, like before we get to um, story of Addison, we'll get to that in a second. But before we get there, but when you think about the stuff he talks about, like the whole, you know, the whole thing, you know, I hope you got it. Was it? Hope you got a crown for every writer in the room. That's about what this dude stands for. Push T is not here for that. Like, I think I saw one of the, it may have been on Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Push T, Push T was in there, and he's like, we got different skill sets. And it sounds in a lot of ways like Drake, like, like, Push T is looking at Drake like, dog, what is, what, what are y'all seeing? Like, yeah, he hates all those cash money dudes. You're right. But he's looking at it almost like, dog, what are y'all seeing him? I, I, got, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this. Like, what, what is it about this that you, that you about? Because Pusha T ain't about nothing that Drake is about. Nothing at all. Not a single bit of it. He just doesn't rock what that dude stands for. And so when you listen to Infrared and that stuff he's talking about, one, Pusha T don't, you know, he ain't really got no respect for you if you think he's getting jerked. That's number one, right? Like, I feel like all these dudes, but he's kind of these dope ties in that way. Yeah, no, they're not really here for you getting jerked. You know, that's not that's not what it is. That's that's not really really where he's he's going. He's not he's not there for he's not for there for the dude not writing the songs, which is clearly a generational issue. Like the youngsters, I think we talked about this before, but I'll say it again. 
the reason why the youngsters are not caring about the idea of whether or not you write your raps is they do not have a firsthand level of investment in the foundational aesthetic of rap music. Rap music is something that they have inherited. And so for people who are in on this in the early portion of it, this not being like pop music or this not being like R&B music is something that we took pride in. Like this was a distinction from those things. It was ours. It was separate from that. But if you of a certain age, you don't think of this from that time period. If you of a certain age, the idea of them being separate to you is like, I don't understand. Why does it have to be separate? Why can't they be, to be Why can't they be together? And we looking at it like, because they not. That's why. Hip-hop. Like, I realize, do you realize how much 90s R&B I don't know? Like, I have no concept of? Because we listen to rap. Like, we was about hip-hop. That was what we did. I wasn't out here listening to that stuff. I don't know it like that. Because that wasn't like, I've gone back, but like, wow, this stuff is a lot better than I gave it credit for being. That wasn't what I was here for. That wasn't what I stood like. We, we stood for, what, for rap music and like specifically that it wasn't R&B. Specifically that it wasn't those things. But these young cats, they don't see it that way. And so like the idea of being an MC, like the notion of the MC doesn't exist anymore. Like, cats don't call themselves MCs anymore. That's not what they're invested in. They are invested in enjoyable music. Like, that's what they care about. And so with Drake, Drake makes pretty consistently enjoyable music. So that's they do. They not like, yo, Drake is the God MC. They're like, no, I'm Drake. I'm a Drake fan. I like his songs. Like, that's how they look at it. And rap means something different to people my age. Because it meant something different at that time. You know, like, there's not, I don't feel like there's a personal attachment to the notion of hip-hop of this generation as there was before. So, like, I think about cats like Ray Schremer. I like Ray Schremer's music a lot. They make really good music. They do. And they rap. Like, it is not that they're not talented. One maybe more than the other, but it's not like they're not talented, right? But they ain't out here worried about being no God MCs. They out here trying to live a life. You know, people say lyrics don't matter anymore. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Like, yo, Drake be coming out there with lyrics. That's part of why people rock with Drake. You can ask the question about who writes the lyrics for him. But Drake be coming out here with lyrics. Dude, like, Amigos, for example, like, the Amigos ain't no God MCs, but the Amigos just don't be just saying, like, any old thing. Kendrick Lamar, like, J. Cole, like, people care about that stuff. Like, the idea that, the idea that people don't associate with the songs themselves is ridiculous. Like, they do. They don't care about being MCs. Like, it doesn't mean anything in that way. So, like, a dude like Drake who jumps in and out of this and, you know, goes to singing and stuff like that, that's crazy offensive to a cat like Pusha T, especially because he is a rapper. Like, that's what I do. I rap. It's a, this is like a wild notion. And so the lines are drawn in that way. But here's where it gets interesting about the lines being drawn in that way and where it relates to Drake and why I find Drake to be really fascinating now in this place that he's in. 
Because this is a real battle. The Meek thing wasn't a real battle. He just missed Meek with memes, man. That wasn't no real battle. You know, and he's had little tips and things that have come up with other people. But where this is different is the only way he can get himself out of it, he got to rap himself out of this. He can't meme himself out of this. He got to rap himself out of this. And you know why he got to rap himself out of this? Because as much as Drake be out here doing his R&B and all that stuff, and sometimes he's rapping, sometimes he's not, and he come out there with, you know, a little soft, I guess you want to call them vulnerable records from time to time and all that stuff. Okay, cool, right? But in the end, Drake's the number one dude in the game. And if you're going to be honest about it, yo, Drake been out here doing this now for damn near 10 years. Like, in the forefront. It's hard to make an argument against Drake as one of the greatest rappers of all time. Because say what you want, man, he's still going. Now, he's doing this without really having classic albums. But, he is at a point now where you got to respect him and what he's done in the game in this way. In 10 years, man, he's going to be the OG that a whole lot of these cats going to be like, yo, I came up wanting to rap and wanting to be like Drake. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to like what that was, but he is that figure for this time, for this decade that's going on right now. The rapper of 2010 through 2019 is Drake. Like that discussion is over. He's already got it. And we're not even at the end of 2019. Like if you're going to talk about a rapper to represent this decade, the answer is Drake. It's him. And he wants to be respected in that way. He wants to be respected as one of those greats. But we are not so far removed from that time period that people like me grew up in where you can be that dude if you don't come out on top on something like what Drake's about to have to deal with. And I think that cat knows that because I think that cat wants that respect. And now he's got to come get that respect. But the thing that Drake always had going for him was strategy. His strategy was always flawless. Not this time. Not this time. He went for the okie doke. Push it, put up, put out infrared, which is basically like, Kind of sticking his chin out there. Like, yo, take a shot. You got it. Take a shot. And then Drake put out Duppy. And Duppy is cold. Like, I was listening to both of them before I got in here to do the show. That's part of why I was late. I wanted to run through both of them. So Drake put out Duppy. And you say what you want about Duppy. If it all ended with Duppy, that is a great diss record. That is a great diss record. The only thing about it, though, it's great, but it's mad dismissive. Like, Drake was kicking it on that, like, let me dust these haters off, right? Because he's right about this, man. It sounds like push straight hating. And he's like, no, nah, let me shake this hater off. That's all I'm going to do. I got another hater in my midst. I'm going to shake him off like I shook off Meek Mill. Like, that's what he thought he was going to do. And he has some dope lines in there talking about, you know, granted, they, you know, this isn't factually accurate, but it's still a great line talking about how you old, how you older than that dude you running behind. That was a dope line. Uh, you know, he's like, yo, don't be ashamed. A lot of people do what you do. That was such a dope line. That was such a dope line, right? He just, he just flicked them off. You know, like that right there was the equivalent of that Eminem line with Ja Rule. Me and Haley dance to your songs. We like you. 
Like, it was very, very true, right? It was a very good record. A lot of people caught strays. Poor Quentin. But anyway, it was a good diss record. I don't think there was any way for Drake to know what was waiting for him around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that line, too, Duffy. You an approachable dude. That was hilarious. Like, Drake's like, yo, you just like me. That was like, all of that was great. It was so good. And then came the story of Addison. And oh my God, that's so disrespectful. Whoa, that's so disrespectful. Now, people have raised the question as to whether the story of Addison is like um, Ether. And yeah, there's a certain, there's an obvious comparison that you can make to Ether. I suppose. But no, it's not Ether. The thing about Ether is Ether was so emotional. This still is not like reached a place where Pusha T was like emotional. But Ether was so emotional. And the thing about Ether was Ether was a dude who was swinging for his career. Like Nas' career was hanging in the balance with Ether. He had made a couple of shaky decisions, and then the takeover, which I still think is better than either, but the takeover had him reeling, and Nas took that time, and then he came back, and he dropped bombs. I don't really like the song, but it was just haymaker, haymaker. He was just swinging on anything that he can find. Pusha was not in that place. Like, Pusha has made it clear. Like, I think Nas gave Ether everything he had. Pusha is like, this is only the beginning. Because when you think about it, he dug kind of deep, but only so deep. First of all, man, he ain't have to clown that dude's pops and talk about his monkey suits. <laughs> he ain't have to do that. He ain't have to do that. I don't know like what Drake thought he was going to do by talking about Pusha T's fiance, but congratulations. That got your mama, your daddy, and your greasy granny uh, put into the song and your baby mama. That was a really harsh line he had about my man who apparently has multiple sclerosis. But I'm of a different generation of rap beef, right? Like, I would be real. I think the stuff that Tupac was saying on Hit Him Up about Faith was mad wrong and mad problematic. I thought the line about Prodigy might have been, I mean, it's rap beef. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's rap beef. That's why the line about his man was like so messed up. But I mean, it's rap beef. It, it's rap beef. It's inappropriate humor, right? But it's 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 rap beef. He bust Drake. You are hiding a child. Like the anger that Push had. And he'll be in a deadbeat. Oh, my God. And then he hit him with, let her be your world in the holy, unnecessary yuck. Like, that was foul. Like, that was it. Like, that that level of it was very similar to Is That You're a Bitch, which is maybe the most disrespectful record anybody has ever made. By the way, speaking of rap beef um, on Uncomfortable Topics, you could probably put together a Spotify playlist of diss records with really horrible references to things related to other people's health. 
Like anybody in the chat room today from Memphis? Like anybody, anybody in here who's like like into Memphis rap? And I asked that because do you remember who it was that did that song about uh, the Three Six Mafia called uh, "Do the Little Arm Dance"? Oh, y'all didn't know about the little arm dance because you know DJ Paul has a um, has a deformed arm, and somebody did a song called "Do the Little Arm Dance." And if I'm not mistaken, it went "Do the Little Arm Dance." I think it went like that, yeah. dude. Rap beef. <laughs> Rat beef is rat beef is a different animal, and I'm seeing from the chat room that many of you were unfamiliar with do the little arm dance. Yes, no, I'm telling, that's what I'm saying. So, like this line about forty, I'm not saying that it wasn't messed up. I'm just saying that maybe in the context of rat beef, right or wrong, I'm a little bit numb to it because I remember do the little arm dance. Yeah, well, there you go. There's somebody in the chat room with the YouTube link to do the little arm dance. Yeah, yeah, 40 caught it straight. 40 caught it straight. And you know why this happened? Because Pusha T really, really, really hates Drake. Drake, however, is simply tired of Pusha T. It's hard to win a battle when a dude hates you so much more than you hate him. So, like, with Meek, for example, he could dismiss Meek because Meek was kind of beneath him in that way. You can't just dismiss Pusha T. That's not an option. Here's another thought I got for you when it comes to uh, rat beef in general. Yo, can you imagine how disruptive this has to be to Drake's life? Like, think about that. Can you imagine how disruptive this has to be to Drake's life? Because, yo, man, after a dude puts out a song like that, how is your every waking thought not about how you go respond? That dude said you are hiding a child. Called him by name. Like, how are you not number one primarily everything you do? So, like, if you were Drake, and, like, at the time of recording this podcast, the, the Addison joint came out yesterday, right? So if you Drake and you wake up today and you got a day full of meetings, all those meetings is canceled, right? Right? Like, your man 40, 40 sent a tweet about how today was MS Day. I mean, Drake, you got to call him up and be like, yo, just so you know, happy MS Day. Um, but the bank's still open. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we gonna have to get to work. Yeah, we had studio. How do you leave the studio? How? You can't. Like, everything that you do has to be focused on your response. Like, Drake trying to put an album out. Drake trying to do a rollout for Adidas. Dog, can't none of that matter right now. Can't none of that matter at all. And there's the other part. 
Drake going up against a dude who's probably a better rapper than him. Oh, yeah. And the blackface picture. Like, in fact, I feel like Drake is kind of lucky that the blackface picture was dropped at the same time as the record. Because we ain't really got time to focus on both. Now, let me tell you where I do think, though, by the way, that this is similar to Ether. Like, this is absolutely where it's similar to Ether. I don't think Ether's that good. But it wasn't about, Ether wasn't put out for me to think it was good. It wasn't put out for you to think it was good. It was put out to burn Jay's soul. Like, that song was done for an audience of one he was trying to hurt jay-z as much as he possibly could like there's a lot of lines that don't mean much to people right but they meant the world to jay-z and that's how jay-z wound up running out and doing super ugly and see that's drake's problem too drake can't put out a super ugly he can't do that because he'll put out a super ugly and people will say it's whack and then push will come back again but um, that was designed to hurt Jay. Push went to find all the buttons to hurt Drake as much as he possibly could. Like, that's what he was going for. Your moms, your pops, your child, your baby mama. Your dad left your mom. You out here treating your baby mama bad, treating her with disrespect. And she ain't that hot. Yeah, he went to hurt him. And I imagine that he did, in fact, hurt him. Which means more is coming. And I don't know about you guys. I can't speak for everybody. Maybe I'm just speaking for me. But yo, God, I forgot how much I love rat beef. It's been so long since we had a great top level rat beef that was like a for real rat beef. Again, not that Drake meat, Drake and meat shit. I mean, this is some beef. Like this is a battle. This is going to go on. Like I don't know how long it's going to go on because the lifespan of battle is so much shorter now because response is so much easier to come up with than everything else. But it's beef, and it's so great. It's so petty. It's so miserable. It is so wonderful. So wonderful. And, yes, I believe it's my homie Dragonfly Jones in there. Somebody pretend to be Dragonfly Jones. He said Drake had a trash haircut. He Oh, I forgot. He said Drake was always uncomfortable with not being black enough. Like, I don't even know if that was necessarily Drake's battle, but I know enough about Drake's background to know that hurt. That hurt. That hit him dead in the stomach. Oh, yeah. We here now, dog. We here. Also think that, think, that, think that Drake made a bad play, though, with Duppy when he was like, yeah, I wrote that stuff for Kanye. Okay. Everybody writes something for Kanye, bro. I be reading the credits on the Kanye records. Everybody writes something for Kanye. We know that. But ain't nobody out here trying to say Kanye the number one rapper in the game. Kanye ain't even trying to say Kanye the number one rapper in the game. But you, you get defensive about this ghostwriting thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Appreciate the question. I figure I should answer one more. Imagine somebody want to hear me talk about Roseanne. Let me figure out how I can do that in a way that doesn't like endanger my employment. Yeah, here we go. Wasn't it a matter of time before Roseanne got her show pulled? All right. Now, one thing about me and the way I kick it and something that I've always tried to be very conscientious of. And I understand that some of y'all are newer to how I do things than others. But one thing I will always be honest with you about is I will be honest about when I'm not talking about something um, because of like, I'll joke about it, call it the money, but you know, a very, whatever kind of professional conflicts there are. Right. I know a lot of y'all like me. A lot of people tell me they like me because they feel like I say whatever it is that I feel that needs to be said. And don't be stretching that definition of, of whatever too far. Like, no, nah, the things I don't talk about because it's not appropriate or whatever it is. Now, the Roseanne thing is kind of sort of one of them that came up because Roseanne is, I mean, ABC is owned by Disney, ESPN is owned by Disney. And there's just some trouble I don't need just to say things that you probably could obviously glean that I would feel about uh, Roseanne. But. Um, here's where I thought the Roseanne thing was interesting. And I guess I could do this now, right? She don't work there no more. But I do, I always gave credence to the argument that families like the family on Roseanne are not well represented on television. Like there's something to that. This idea that they are like Trump supporters or whatever it is, or that Trump's America isn't represented on television. I think that's going too far, but. I do think like that was one of the things about Roseanne when it dropped, when it did is there were not families like that one on television. Like there weren't. That's part of why it was so appealing to so many people. Like married with children was another example of a family that kind of fit that vibe. But like that, that the notion, like the, the working class white family suburb and like Roseanne, the thing about the family of Roseanne that made it dope was, is that it was so realistic, right? Like with the daughter, with the do-nothing boyfriend that you don't like, and then they start having sex in there in high school, and you got to figure out what to do with that, you know, and like all like like those kinds of storylines and stuff like that. No, that stuff is not well represented on television, and I do believe, and I could understand a measure of frustration that a lot of those people had, that their stories were not being told on television. The problem I had was putting this in the context of supporting Trump. Because I imagine there are more people than are given credit for that live a life like the like the Connors on Roseanne in Lanford, Illinois, I think it was. And they're not all voting for Trump. Like in all these stories about the people in Trump's America and why they still vote for Trump. I ain't seen no story about the people who live in the same place and didn't vote for Trump. I'm very curious to know what they think, but nobody brings that up. But I did think either way, I thought that there was credence to the idea that a family like the Connors was not really shown on television. And I did not think that that discussion had to go into a realm of politics. Like there was room to bring Roseanne back and just have the family from Roseanne come back and not to dress it up in the other stuff. You feel me? Like, I don't think they had to do that. But I did. But again, I thought there was some credence to that idea. You know, and I didn't watch any of the episodes. I did not. Um, but when I saw that they canceled the show and for the reason that they canceled the show, which seemed to be plausible and there's a black woman that was behind that decision. So, you know, we've seen her. I'll tell you a story and I can tell this story. And it will help with this. And this is how I can be sincere with you without doing anything stupid. So many years ago, um, Hank Williams Jr. was removed from doing the theme song for Monday Night Football on ESPN. He was removed because he made a comparison that kind of like an Obama Hitler thing. And you know, that didn't go over so well. And so they let Hank Williams Jr. Go. 
And so I was going to go on outside the lines on ESPN to talk about it. And they you know, they wanted to talk about the issue. And I remember I called my man who worked um, as a booker for outside the lines. And I'm like, look, I need you to tell me what I can say here, you know, because I, I can't really answer this question without being critical of ESPN. And I figure I should tell you that before I get there. And he called me back after I told him that. And he said, I said, do what you got to do. And I said, okay. And so what I was going to say that day, I think I may have written about it, but what I was going to say was, I understand the argument that this is fireable for Hank Williams Jr. But I would also understand if I were Hank Williams Jr., if this was fireable, how was I ever hireable? You know what I mean? Like, I can see why somebody might have that question in the position that he was in. Now, Hank Williams Jr. is now back. So, you know, there's that. With Roseanne, I don't even know if the tweet she sent was top 10. But it's the one that did it in. And so the question that everybody involved has to ask themselves is, like, so how do we get here? That's what everybody. That's what everybody there has to say and go with. It's like the people that work with Roseanne, and like I've seen people be like, "Oh man, all the people that worked on that show, I'm really sad for them because now they're going to be out of work." Yo, if they took that job working with Roseanne and had not entertained the possibility that she was going to do something to mess up everybody's money, then they didn't do their proper research. I don't feel bad for them at all. They knew who they worked for. They knew who they signed up to work with. They knew that. And you know what they got out of it? They got a season of checks. And I don't even know if they could have felt like it was really a promise that they would get a full season of them checks. But they got a season of them checks. I ain't feeling bad for them for a second. Not a one. But, yeah, as you say, was it a matter of time? I mean, I guess it was a matter of time. I suppose it was. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you could have assumed that her show was going to get canceled for something like that, given that similar things didn't stop her from getting the show in the first place. That's that. You know? But hey, they made the call they had to make. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing once every week or two somewhere in there. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Remember, if you can't watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.